welcome to Livingstone Church. I am Pastor Scott. Very, very excited to be here with you this morning. This morning we can continue our Encounter Jesus um, sermon series. Today we are talking about celebrating his present story, God's present story. Um, and one of the things that we are, as elders are celebrating this morning is we are so grateful we, to get away. We got away Friday night, Saturday night, and came back early this morning. Um, and just had an amazing time. You, we felt your prayers as you were praying for us. It was very much a protected time, a glorious time of song and praise and of, of us goal setting together and looking at the future of Livingstone and just washing that in prayer and spending some time thinking about it. So it's been a great weekend. We're a little tired, but filled with joy and peace. And so um, I was told yesterday that being tired is a good place to be because it makes us a little bit more reliant on God and less on ourselves. So I think we're in a good place this morning. Amen? Well, what better way to start off this morning than some stories of what God is doing? And I am so excited. We're going to share with you two stories. The first is going to be Kathy's story, which I'm going to play for you in a second. And then the second story is Darren Fricky is going to come up and share what God has been doing in his life and in regards to Encounter Jesus. So let's start off by hearing from Kathy this morning. To go to confession every day um, in elementary school, and there was this priest, and he would tell us all that if we didn't go to confession, didn't go to church every day, and didn't act like these perfect kids, that we were going to go straight to hell. I mean, and he would yell this at us. You know, all I wanted to do was be like this perfect kid because I didn't want to make God mad. By the time I was 15 years old, I just turned away from God, from the church, from my parents, and just rebelled. I was lost. I didn't know who I was. I basically was running from God is what I, you know, when I look back on it now. There were times, man, I should have been dead. I should have, definitely should have been dead. I just kept getting into one relationship after another. Um, just so trying to fill that emptiness that I felt inside. I was in this really dark place in my life. Um, I had two failed marriages. I had a little girl that I was raising by myself, and I just felt this like, okay, I'm done. I mean, I contemplated leaving, figuring out how I could leave this life. scripture in it and it's still to this day it's Romans 12 1 through 2 and I remember reading it and I remember throwing the book across the room because I didn't understand it and then I just I cried out to Jesus I said Jesus if you're real will you please come into my life and he did my life completely changed instantly after that moment it's the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> I get to spend an eternity 
Jesus, that's <laughs> huge. Nothing else matters. But that right there, someday I get to be with Jesus. Living Stone is helping me to grow as a Christian by challenging me. Um, and that's super important to me, to not stay stuck. We have to build relationships and get to know people so that we can tell them about Jesus. And that's what I want to do. It's all about Jesus. It is all about him. He saved me to be with me. Oh, how I want others to experience that. I don't know. How many of y'all know who Kathy is? Give you like little chills a little bit? Yeah. It's amazing. Well, good morning. Uh, now I realize why we need uh, two services. Uh, the parking lot when I showed up didn't look too bad, but when I got in here and saw very few empty seats and imagined uh, the next service coming, it's a, a good thing that we are making some progress uh, in changing that. So Encounter Jesus, you know, what has that done for me? Uh, I've shared with you guys during our Encounter Jesus campaign some stories uh, that affected me. But, um, you know, one of the things that I keep coming back to is what makes my experience here at Livingstone Church different than what it's been like in other places. I've attended church. Um, I've been um, involved with... Um, well, I've, been, uh, I've attended, I've um, listened, I've had good sermons, I've listened to great music. Uh, what is it that is different about Livingstone Church that caught my attention and that, was, that, that made me want to be more drawn to God? Um, you know, I, it took a little bit of thinking, but then it really actually kind of hit me pretty obviously. You know, I... Um, I had to imagine what was different. What was I doing differently? Was I um, open to something new or was I just being a part of something? And I realized that when I uh, began going to our life group, our life group uh, includes DNA for men. It allowed for me to completely um, absorb information more so than I ever have in my past. I've gone to church, sat there, listened to good sermons, heard Scott tell some good sermons. You know, Scott's a good storyteller. He can um, get your thoughts going, and you can create this imagination of what the story is in the Bible that he's trying to show, uh, share with us and how it needs to, you know, be a, a part of our lives. But then you go home and you kind of do what with it? And with Life Group for me... Um, it, it really allowed for me to ask questions. It allowed for me to um, um, hear other people talk. Um, this activity isn't favored by all, but I want to be an advocate for it. Um, you know, I really do think that Life Group changed the way that I viewed God, um, just because I was able to get more connected with, with God through the stories that we shared. And it actually allowed for me to speak. It allowed for me to have comments and for me to ask questions. I can imagine up here if Scott's doing a, uh, a sermon, you know, all of us raising our hand and ask questions. It probably wouldn't work very well. <laughs> um, I'm sure he would take some questions, but the reality of that isn't, isn't possible. Uh, 
you know, one of the things I thought about was, is do, do, did I ever go home? Did Amy and I ever talk about our sermons at church when we went? Um, did we uh, spend time in prayer pondering um, the, the, um, the message and how we can apply it in our own lives? Was there ways for us to ask questions during church? Do you hear other people telling their stories on how their sermon, that same sermon, affected their lives? And I think once you start gathering all that data, it creates, um, it wakes up some of the, um, you know how you, like, you have hot sauce? It, it wakes up the taste buds, at least that's what it does for me. That was kind of like how it was for me with our life group. Um, have you had a chance to be with Christian men and Christian women in a, one, in, in a small group setting and, and, and discuss men issues and women issues? Um, I think in a group, that's not possible, but with your trusted um, people, it is. We learn to be better husbands, and the women learn to be better wives, and we all learn to be better parents for our children. We also learn to be better friends to our not-yet-believers. Life Group provided me an opportunity to participate with the questions, like I mentioned, sharing meals together and then gathering to discuss sermons in depth, in personal ways to, uh, has allowed my faith to grow beyond where it would have been if I just relied on Pastor Scott's sermons. I know in my heart that my baptism was the result of my time spent with our life group. That was a pretty cool day, and I'm really glad I was able to do that. I honestly think that all the years would have kept being repeated. You would just listen and go home, but my life group didn't let me do that. My life group stood behind me. They heard my... Um, they heard my, um, my um, sins. Uh, they helped me through the sins. They helped me and my wife. Um, they listened. They never judged. They were sharing. Uh, they, were, they were sharing their own stories, which gave me encouragement that I wouldn't be alone. You know, the other part of life group that is equally as important is the gathering of not yet believers. Uh, I think, you know, that is a key element to our growth. We can, invite yacht, we can invite not yet believers into our homes and they can uh, participate with our activities, whether it's watching a football game, playing game night, uh, playing baseball in the, in the yard in the spring and summertime, just hanging out. Um, they get to experience that with us. Uh, and when you, when you do this in a life group setting, um, it's so much less pressure. It creates just a just being a just being you. You get to just walk in in this environment and just hang out, be kind, be loving, and then let them see that. And that was that's I think a really key part of what I've experienced through our life group. You know, I, I think of Romans twelve verses four and five when I see all of you. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same purpose and function. So we, though many, are one body, and Christ and individually members of one another. And when I hear that, I think, okay, we've got young people, we've got middle-aged people, we've got old people. That's just the reality of life. We all have something to offer each of us. And if we rely on just groups within our own age group, or groups within our own sex, groups within our own um, belie- um, 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 friendship you know, like people you know really well, then I think it's going to stunt our, our ability to grow and ask questions. Um, 
I think in our life group, we, we fulfilled many of those um, descriptions, and we are, um, it, it gave full, um, full it, was, it was a complete, it felt complete because we had every aspect of that. Um, you know, I meet Friday mornings with, with a gentleman named um, Paul. Some of you might know Paul. Um, you know, I think of Paul's and my time as uh, similar in, in um, DNA. Although I have a DNA group, I still, you know, rely on some wisdom from Paul. Yeah, Paul does, have, I think, have a little wisdom. Um, and, and he shared with me a few things on Friday that really hit home. Um, but, you know, I, I can't wait to tell Paul this in second service because um, Paul actually did and was being a part of what I believe Life Group is all about. He was a friend and a member of our church, and he put himself out there, and he gave some advice, and he gave some encouragement, and that's exactly what we need to do with each other. You know, in my, in my time with DNA, um, with the men, it, it's a safe time. Um, you know, can you imagine? I mean, men and women think differently. You ask your wife a question, she's going to think you're crazy. You ask a, another guy that question, you get to bounce that off of somebody. So you don't really feel like you're crazy that, at that moment. They can check you and say, no, Darren, you, that, wasn't, that wasn't cool. Or they can say, you know what, maybe we should try it differently to, to get to the same response that you were hoping for. So, you know, I think, I think um, just hanging out with the guys um, helps keep your mind balanced and keeps you... Um, keeps you steady. It doesn't, it doesn't um, give you fr- uh, fear of saying it the wrong way. <laughs> my wife, uh, I do that a lot with my wife. I'll say something and uh, it's like, well, I didn't mean it that way. But, um, so I ask you this. How will these rocks here awake and become followers of Jesus? We will build it and they will come is not a safe bet. Are we better disciples alone or are we better together? I believe that we're better together. One, one, one quarterback on an 11-man roster isn't going to do it for you, even if he's John Elway. <laughs> our life groups will be the key to our growth. If, if, if we can't have growth, if growth doesn't happen, I mean, if we do it by ourselves, what is the likelihood of actual growth if we're individually left to do it alone? But if we do it together, um, we have such a better chance of being successful at that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all uh, the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of our Lord. It's been a lot of fun to be part of Darren's story and to see what God's been doing in Darren and Amy's lives. Um, Darren began his journey of faith and understanding who God was during one of our Friday night, Good Friday services, um, and began to wrestle with that, began to trust in Jesus Christ, and it was a, it was a process. And I remember the first time we brought up baptism with Darren, and it was a conversation, and it was a conversation that went on for a while. And that wonderful day on Easter Sunday, this Easter Sunday when Darren was baptized, was a great day of joyous celebration. When I see Kathy's story and I hear Kathy's story, 
and I hear Darren's story, I get excited. This is what's going on within this body of believers. There is life change happening within this body of believers. This is what we want. This is what we desire. I've kind of responded, like, how do we respond to when we hear stories like Kathy's? I mean, I hope that we don't become super critical. I hope that that's not a place we go. I hope we hear that the gospel, that Jesus impacted her life in a way that was different than ours, and we go, praise God. I hear that we, the way God's been working on Darren's heart, and we're going, praise God. It's kind of like, how many of you all have seen the movie Santa Claus 2? With Tim Allen. Okay, I'm a Christmas movie buff. I like Christmas movies, okay? Well, the, the kind of the storyline for Christmas, Santa Claus 2 is that Tim Allen, who is Santa Claus and became Santa Claus in Santa Claus 1, finds out in Santa Claus 2, and there's this whole play on the clause word, right, that it he has to go get a Mrs. Claus, okay? Well, he can't get a Mrs. Claus at the North Pole, so he's got to go back to where he's from and try to find a wife, right? But the elves come up with, the two head elves come up with this great idea. We've got this robot maker, okay? And we're going to put Santa Claus into the robot maker machine. And, and so Santa Claus comes in there, and out comes the other side, this adult, not-so-lifelike Santa Claus, Okay? And the robot, Santa Claus, goes into effect. And they think they've got the elves tricked, but there was this one test. This female elf who was pretty close to the Santa Claus, the original Santa Claus, and she comes in to bring him hot cocoa. Well, this is the first time the robot, Santa Claus, has ever had hot cocoa. And so he takes the hot cocoa from her, and he starts to drink the hot cocoa, and she gives the warning, it's hot, be careful, but he just chugs it down anyways. And he's chugging down that hot cocoa, and he finishes that up really quick. And he's like, "Woo! I love hot cocoa. Hot cocoa is superior refreshment, right? And he is like screaming this out, so excited about, I want more hot cocoa. And the little female elf is like, oh, yeah, right away, Santa. So she's heading off. And he goes, yeah, I think I feel a little buzz, right? Remember this hot cocoa. Well, brothers and sisters, when we hear stories of life change, we got to be going, I love to hear stories of life change. Amen. I love to hear how people's getting, hearts are being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, I feel a little buzz. I'm so excited. Our, our skin, the hairs on our skin ought to stand up a little bit on the back of our neck. And we've got to get excited. Amen. Because when we see life change, that is the present reality of God's story before us. And we got to celebrate that. And we haven't been doing enough of that celebration. So we're going to start loading up life stories. We're going to start loading them up on Sunday mornings. And I've commissioned the elders. I've told the elders, guess what? Your life stories are in in there first. So we're going to start sharing our life stories. And we're going to start celebrating what Jesus Christ is doing in our lives. And I'm hoping that you come in on a Sunday morning going, I can't wait to hear another story about how God is changing people's lives. But the cool thing about our God is he doesn't just save us from hell and then leave us alone. He continues to save us by his grace. We are being saved. And so God's story is continuing to unfold in our hearts. Darren's story is not done. Kathy's story is not done. It is just beginning. That is, this morning I am so excited to, as you can tell, 
to come and share with you Luke chapter 5. So if you haven't opened up your Bibles there, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke is a gospel, a story of the life of Jesus Christ, found in the New Testament, and it goes Matthew is the first gospel, Mark is the second gospel, and then Luke, and then Luke chapter 5. There are Bibles, if you didn't bring one this morning, in the pew fronts or pew backs right in front of you, so make sure and grab one of those and open them up and read along with us this morning. The first thing I want you to realize this morning is that God's story changes lives. One of the goals that was we were working on some of our goals this weekend for our 4Gs, we were talking about changed hearts. And we kind of were like, well, we need to put changed hearts in lives. But we, we kind of came to the conclusion that guess what? If your heart's been changed by God, your life is going to be changed by God. Now, not completely and all at once. It's a process. But now there's a desire within a person to have their life changed by God. And God's story, what Jesus Christ was doing, and this story comes very early on in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But already we see by the opening verses of this passage that guess what? Jesus and what he's been doing and God's story that he was writing on the hearts and lives of people was having a major impact. People have been healed. Demons had been cast out. Lives have been changed by Jesus Christ already in this story. And it was causing and it was piquing curiosity across the land. God's story changes lives. Now, some of these individuals, it says here in Luke 5, chapter 17, on one of those days as he was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Notice where they had come from. They had come from every village of Galilee. Jesus was presently in Galilee, okay? The region of Galilee near the Sea of Galilee, okay? And Judea, okay? The lower region. And from Jerusalem, it was like up to 70 miles away. Jesus has caused a commotion. Why? People's lives were being changed. People were being radically altered by Jesus Christ. And people are coming to find out what is going on. And so what are some groups that come? Well, we kind of understand that as we read of these religious leaders and what we may know of them, that most of the religious leaders during that day were skeptical of Jesus Christ. They were skeptical for different reasons. One of them is they were a powerful group of people. And they did not want to lose their power. And this Jesus coming on the scene and radically changing people's lives was a threat to their power. But for others of them, they, they, they were trying to be adherents to the law and what they understood the law to be. And they come and they see what Jesus Christ is doing, and they're going, is this man violating the law? And we want to make sure that he is not in violation of the law. And so they're going to come check him out to deem whether what he is doing is truly righteous and good. Then you've got this other group of people. I call them the faith-filled people, the people that may have witnessed Jesus Christ doing these amazing acts, and they want to see more. In fact, they want to see more so badly that they're willing to bring people to Jesus Christ, even though it is a great burden to them. 
but they're faith-filled. They want to see people, more lives changed by God, by our Savior Jesus Christ. The other group is, is this crowd. And the crowd is kind of like the flat character in the story. They're kind of curious. They may be a little skeptical. We really don't know, but, but they're present. They're, they're drawn to Jesus for a myriad of reasons, and we don't really know all the reasons that they're there, but they're, they're present. So you got the religious leaders, you got this crowd, and you got those who are faithful that want to see more life changed take place. And this group of people fill this room. And notice here, it says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Talking about Jesus, that the power of the Lord, this idea that the Holy Spirit had come upon Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was doing mighty, mighty deeds. Mighty deeds. And verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. Okay, so thus the stretcher, okay? What we have on the stretcher today are weights. My wife says that the average male man weighs 150 pounds. And I want to be like, not in the United States of America. I don't know what you, you may need. The, 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 the AMA or whoever wrote that needs to go back and check that, that, that statistic. So... I have put 160 pounds, and I don't even think that's the average male American on this stretcher this morning, right? Well, they had this gentleman who was on a stretcher, and they're bringing him to the feet of Jesus. They want to bring him before Jesus Christ because they have seen and they have heard what Jesus Christ has done, and they love this individual. Don't miss that. They love that person on the stretcher. They're willing to sacrifice, to sacrificially give of their time, they give of their talents, their energies, and possibly even their treasures in order to bring this man before Jesus Christ. Because they know Jesus can change this man's life. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Now, this is, this is mind-blowing. Now, I have had the joy and the privilege. Now, how many of my military folks? Any military folks in here? Okay, Dave, did you ever have to carry a litter through an obstacle course during your time in the military? No, that's right. So Dave was yelling at people to do that, okay? I, I really, he was a drill sergeant in the Army. So I literally remember doing that. Like, you've got four guys on a litter, and you've got somebody, you got the, we called him the sucker because you didn't want to be on the litter, okay? Because you're going over office, you're going to get dumped out, you're going to fall all over the place and possibly get hurt, okay? But carrying a person over obstacles was hard enough, let alone going up to the top of a house, now, how many of y'all have, like, carried roof shingles up to the top of the house? You've thrown them over your shoulder, right? That's exhausting work. We did that a couple of years ago and back, and that was, if you remember, it's one of the few sermons I've actually preached from a stool because my back was hurting so bad after doing that, right? That they carried this individual on his stretcher up to the roof. They removed the tiles, and they lowered him to the feet of Jesus. Now, you want to talk about some radical faith. 
brothers and sisters, that's not socially acceptable. There were religious leaders in that house, probably with a big fat do not disturb sign on the door. It's full. There's no room for you. But they are so excited to see Jesus Christ change that man's life that they're going to, we're going to forget the social norms of today. We are going to forget what is socially acceptable. And we're going to bring this man before Jesus Christ. And they lower him down right, I love what it says there, right before Jesus, in the midst of Jesus. You want to talk about disrupting a meeting. Could you imagine right now, all of a sudden we hear a little pickaxe, right, on the roof. And then all of a sudden things are getting, and all of a sudden things are starting to fall down here. And I can't even read the scripture more because so much. And we look up and somebody's like lowering somebody down. That would be a little disruptive to our time this morning. I might go, come on, we get a better time to do this? You know, I might get a little perturbed. But Jesus, no way. Jesus knows what's going on. In fact, I can't help but Jesus, he may, I mean, just figure out, he may have a little smirk on his face like, you guys are not aware of what's going to happen right next, but it's going to be so cool. faith-filled. You know, Jesus Christ calls us, all of us as children of God in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, to be disciple makers. Our primary function as a body of believers is to believe, bring people to the feet of Jesus Christ and then to help them walk with Jesus Christ and grow up in Jesus Christ. That is what we are supposed to be doing. Job description number one for the Christian. But how do we go about this? There is such a beautiful picture of what is taking place here in the scriptures, that there is a group of people gathered around this and this individual to, to bring him to Jesus. Now, now, Jeffrey, come on up here. Come on up here, Jeffrey. Jeffrey is a strong individual, Right? Anybody like say that Jeffrey's a weak person? No, no, I don't think most of us know. He may be scared of a lot of things, but he is not a weak person, okay? Uh, we got stories from the retreat. Someday you have to ask him, okay? But, all right, and so Jeffrey, if you would, I'd like you to pick this up and kind of push this and, and try to move this over there. <laughs> Lois has got confidence in you, okay? Is that heavier? Uh, is that heavy? It's a little heavy. That's an average male, Jeffrey. Just an average male, right? Okay. How far do you think you could go by yourself carrying that individual? Right about that. Right about there. Okay, that, that's a good spot, right? All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to help balance you out. I'm going to help balance you out. Jerry, Jerry, would you come up here for a second, please? All right. Now, now, you understand Jerry is a Marine, because there's no such thing as a retired Marine or, or has been Marine. There's only a Marine, okay? Right? Okay, and Jerry is also the person, if you've seen him out here, he has hand-pushed, mowed this lawn a hundred times and, and done it amazingly, right? And so Jerry is a strong individual. Jerry, you want to you help Jeffrey out with this a little bit? All right, and, and just kind of go up and down the aisle and come back. Would you do that? Would you do that for us? Okay, there we go. All outstanding. Nicely done. Look at that. You would have gone backwards. Nicely done, Jerry. Great job. 
We have medical people on standby, okay? They, they, they are aware that this is taking place this morning. All right, we're going back. All right. Now, now gentlemen, how far, Jerry, how far do you think you could carry that litter with Jeffrey? How many clicks? How many, yeah, how many clicks? Let's go, let's go military here. How many clicks? The click is a kilometer or about half a mile or a little, a little more than half a mile. As far, that's a great marine answer, as far as it needs to go. But, you know, a mile would be pushing it, don't you think? Yeah. That would be really hard. Okay. Now, what's crazy? Thank you, gentlemen. You can go ahead and go back and have your seat. Now, what if we grab four people up here, right? Yeah, give them a round of applause. There we go. Well done. Now, imagine if we brought four people up here. Well, now you've got four people on each corner. You're able to go even further, and you can even switch hands now. So you can carry it with one hand for a while and then, and then switch over to the other side and carry it for a while. And you can go back and forth, right? And you get, but imagine, okay, what if there were five or six? Now somebody gets a full-on break. And having carried a litter through an obstacle course, you're begging for a break by the end, right? You're begging for somebody to step in for you because you're exhausted. Brothers and sisters, discipling others to Jesus Christ is exhausting work. It will wear you out, especially if you're going it alone. Think of a person running a marathon, right? And they say that a person who runs a marathon at about the miles between 18 and 20, they hit this invisible wall. And you talk to people who run marathons, do a sanity check on them first, and then you talk to them. And, and you say to them, how do you get through the wall? And they're like, they tell these stories. It's the craziest thing. Somebody, you know, was on the side. And, and they were crying out for us. And somebody just said my name. And I don't know. I didn't see anybody that I knew there. Maybe they're talking to somebody else my name. And that's all I needed to get past is somebody just said my name. Glenn tells the story that when he was living in New York, that his band was actually hired by a nonprofit group to play at mile marker 18. And that they were just playing fun, good old time songs, and they're out there jamming. And afterwards, people came back, finished the race, and came back to them and said to them, thank you, you got me through. You know, we need each other to disciple, to bring people to the feet of Jesus Christ. And the more we do this in isolation, we get burned out, we get tired, we get weary, we get heartbroken, we get despondent, we stop believing that Jesus Christ can change that person's life. They become so too much, Lord. The burden has become too much to bear. I quit. Versus having somebody there who's saying, I'm in this with you. We love this person. We're going to love him to the feet of Jesus Christ. When you get tired, I'm going to be there. When I'm going to get tired, you're going to be there. And then the more people you join around, and that's what's so beautiful, is right now, you just ought to feel sorry for a couple people in our valley that I won't mention their name, but their rocks are out there. They're getting ganged up by like 18 people between two life groups 
and just we're praying them. We're walking alongside of them. We're doing game nights with them, and we're just coming together, and we refuse to believe the lie that the devil's got them. We remind each other that God can get a hold of them at any moment. Don't you quit. Don't you quit bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't you quit carrying them. Don't you quit working that and talking with them about it. Don't quit. Stay in the fight. And we encourage each other to do that. But when we go it alone, we ain't going very far, are we, Jeffrey? Because the burden's too much. God brought us to be a church family so that together we can bring people to the feet of Jesus Christ and just disrupt things. That's what I love about Jesus. It's just, it just is disruptive And what happens here. And there are some people here that are a little bit annoyed. All right, that's what I'm saying, Lois. Too bad. It says here that these religious leaders, in verse 20, but when he saw, okay, first let's talk about what Jesus did. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, oh, oh, oh. underline this. When they saw whose faith? The man in the stretchers? No. When they saw the faith of the people who were on the roof. Do you think that man's life was the only life changed that day? Absolutely not. And I'm, I can only imagine that those guys scampered off that roof to find go some more people. How do we know that? I'll tell you in a minute. Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, what's crazy here is he doesn't say it the first time. You're healed. Get up and walk and carry out of here. He says, no, your sins are forgiven. Your heart is changed. Boom, I did it. And all the skeptics are going, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isaiah chapter 43, 25, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The religious leaders go, there's only one person who can forgive sins, and that's God. They were right. And Jesus steps up to the plate and says, great job. So that you will know I have the ability to forgive sin. Watch this. Why do you question your hearts, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. When hearts are changed, lives are changed. And Jesus says to them, so that you may know I am God. And this is a great phrase to bring people who say, Jesus never ever says he is God. There's no, there's no truth in the scriptures that says Jesus is God. Bring him right here. Are you kidding me? The skeptics knew this, and Jesus says, so that you know, what is he saying here? That I'm God. Get up and walk. Go home. And immediately, and immediately, he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home 
glorifying God. The men on that roof that day, the people who had brought this man before Jesus Christ, witnessed that man's heart and life changed forever. They got to hear and encounter Jesus' story. What was the reaction? What happened in that room? This is what's so beautiful about this. The faith-filled, the skeptic, and the crowd have one response. Verse 26. And amazement seized them all. Amazement, shock, awe, the little hairs on your hands and the neck standing up, chills, those little things that you get that just kind of make you go like that, right? Amazement filled them all. Life changed and what they saw at that moment filled them all with amazement and they glorified God. And we're filled with awe. I like that word, awe. Saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. When was the last time you said that? Did you watch Kathy's video and feel that way? We saw something extraordinary today as we heard how God, a hold of, God got a hold of Kathy's life. And let me tell you what, you don't know. Kathy, maybe most of you don't know, Kathy is a single mom on a very tight budget with a teenage girl. And so what did she do? God is changing her life. So what does she do? She invites another teenage girl into her home to stay because that's what she needed to do. Because when God gets a hold of people's lives, he changed them and they do things that they normally wouldn't do because they're filled with awe. And we should hear that story and we should get excited. It should fill us with awe and it should create within us a desire to hear way more of those stories. In fact, we want to be part of those stories where we are going to gather around with other believers to bring people to the feet of Jesus Christ. This is so exciting. We talk about celebrating his present story and what he's doing. That's what I mean. How can we celebrate what God's doing without seeing that and going, oh, this is, oh, this is good encountering Jesus. This is good discipling of Jesus. Whoa, this is great life change. I want more of this. This is superior refreshment. I feel a little buzz. I feel excitement. I feel joy. It's okay to say that about Jesus and what he does. Brothers and sisters, we're not about building a building that will last forever, but we are about building a home where people can join the family of God and that lasts forever. What is the number one thing we want coming out of the Encounter Jesus campaign? That we catch this idea and understanding because of his past story, because of his future story, because of his present story, we celebrate what he's doing and we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ in droves into this valley. 
and we're going to create major disruption, so much so that it's going to disrupt our own pocketbooks because we're going to say we need a facility to house what's taking place. And we're going to sacrificially give to this above and beyond our tithes and our offerings and get excited about what Jesus Christ is doing. And what's awesome about this is the more we get involved in this, the more our lives get changed. And it's like the most beautiful and the most wonderful of all things in this world. And it's way addictive. You start seeing life change that you were a part of, you just want more. Warning you, we should put a little big warning label on there, caution, it's hot. Caution, it's addictive. When you start entering into people's lives and it's going to be hard and it's going to be messy and it's going to be difficult and it's going to cause you to lean on Jesus like you've never leaned on him before. Why do you think Jesus says, pick up the cross and follow me? We've described a party this morning, but it's a party that happens out of a lot of hard work, toil, and labor. God isn't saying, go do it alone. He's saying, rally the troops. Go after the lost. This is what we get to do together as we encounter Jesus celebrating his present story. So there are two questions this morning in your bulletin. Two. Who are you carrying? And who's helping you carry? Vital question. Vital. As we look to bring others to the feet of Jesus Christ. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for the life change that is happening here at Livingstone Church. And what you're using to change people's lives. Lord, I thank you for the saints as they're relying on each other and they're leaning on each other, Lord God, to bring people to the feet of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, Lord God, I pray that our hearts and our lives would be changed by you as we desire to see life change in others. Thank you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, that you forgive sin, that you are God. And because you are God, we can go out and we can do this. And we can join with you in the trenches of this life, bringing people to your feet. In Jesus' most holy, wonderful name we pray. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.